Let's spread a song so you can sing along with one special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is a new guest. He is the <laughs> co-host of J&A Are Gay. It's the A, finally. It's Aaron Salazar, everyone. Hello. Thank you we, so much for having me. I've <laughs> been waiting so long for this because Jason's oh been on for like yes. Yes. every other episode. Series like. regular. Yes. For sure. And we're here to talk about, this is, okay, so every once in a while on this podcast, it's not technically a musical that we're covering, but this is one that I feel like should be one, and that is Mm. Postcards from the Edge um, that Aaron picked. Uh, It is the 1990 Carrie Fisher autobiography kind of... Mike Nichols. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Directed by Mike Nichols. And according to IMDb, now, okay, so usually I say like music and lyrics, but like every song is written by somebody different. So we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. So it is right. It's such a, it's such a truffle filled, like, (laughs) uh, like just a bounty of badasses and like so much stuff happening in this, in this movie. Uh, yeah, so according to IMDb, a substance-addicted actress tries to look on the bright side even as she is forced to move back in with her mother to avoid it unemployment. I mean, that's, that's so funny. I've never heard that so, like, binary. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure you, you would agree that it is a deeply nuanced and very, like, uh, yes. a layered movie, right? Yeah, I mean, if they if if they wanted the IMDb summary to be like a blurb, all you really had to write was based on Carrie Fisher's life. Like that's it. <laughs> Every, yeah, because because like when you when you watch it, you're like that is definite. That is Debbie Reynolds. Like that is Debbie Reynolds's character in Will and Grace to a T. Yes, exactly. And it's interesting that you say that because um, I know that Carrie. Fisher, I could be wrong. I had a, I had a time when I was very obsessed with this and, and the book as well. Uh, made it. Debbie Reynolds was upset because of the way that she portrayed the mom as a drunk, but Carrie Fisher did that specifically for the screenplay because it's more interesting, right? Yes. And she went on to be like, no, my mom's not an alcoholic on any level, but it wasn't the point. It was the device to kind of show the relationship. But, uh, you know, Debbie Reynolds being the fucking MGM movie star she was, was just afraid that people were going to be like, oh God, now everyone's going to think I'm a drunk. But you know, everyone, there's no world where the rumor was ever that Debbie Reynolds was an alcoholic. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. That's not, that's not yeah. the part I was referencing when I said right. that this is, cause like she is kind of like the stage mom, but oh. also in the business stage oh. mom. Drag. That's more, yeah, that's more what I was talking about. With yes, yes, yeah. of course, of, yeah. of course, my dark ass always like as the dark theater director, I'm like, well, you know that she was Well, Fun, yeah. Another fun fact about Debbie Reynolds is that she wanted to play the mother in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and was told by Mike Nichols that she was not right for the part. <laughs> well, the truth, you know, and if you think about it, like at the time, it's really true because, you know, she was showing us how much nuance she always had. But, you know, I think she got away with it um, when we got to get to know her again and like in and out, you know, so that was kind of you know her coming back in. 
to a new generation. but I think at the time, yeah, it's like that super dark shit that Shirley MacLaine's so good at. I think he knew Debbie wouldn't want that to be her, her, what's what I'm looking for? Like, like her that, comeback, her return. Yeah, like yeah. that he would, he would, that isn't what she's wanting to project because, you know, she's very MGM Hollywood, which is what I think is so interesting about this movie. Like, I'm so obsessed with things that are more honest yeah. about the business. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. And also showing that I'm like, it's a gig. Like they are very much going to work. I know like the offset of that is fame, but like, it's such a gritty version of like, it's not particularly glamorous, like on any no. level. Yeah. No, but I mean, and like, this is one person's story, but correct. if this was a similar story and it was a man as the main character, it would be a very different story. Because oh, yes men can get away with a shit ton more in Hollywood Murder. than women can. Yeah. Literally. Yes. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Yes. Absolutely. And I, you know, I love that you mentioned that because what, please, if in the opening scene of what happens in this movie happened to any guy, which I'm sure happens like weekly, yeah. Yeah. no one would say shit to him. No, they wouldn't drug test him. No. And actually, set. and the director wouldn't have probably like, even though I love that character, we'll get into that later. The director never would have gone up to him and done that to that guy in front of everyone. He definitely would have pulled him to the side and been like, yo, you got to pull your shit together for sure. Probably. But it's just, it, it's a very interesting point you make because even the figure, and I was thinking about this a lot this time around with Gene Hackman, Jesus Christ, the, the cast is insane. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but <laughs> Gene Hackman's character in a, in a world full of predatory men in life, let alone Hollywood. Right. He very much comes across as someone who actually gives a fuck about her. Like, as a person, there's a little bit of a paternal thing happening there. Yeah. And it's interesting that even he, you know, lets... It's just a, a fascinating first scene, the way he goes in on her. Right. And then and then he has that moment later in the recording studio where that's the real paternal moment that they wanted. What a great scene, right? That... What a, that so... Uh, we're jumping okay. all over the place. Okay, let's let's figure... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm oh, like, that's what I do here. Oh, great, 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 great. When I say discuss the movie, it's no holds barred. Yeah, I like that. I'm not, into, I'm not into linear much. You know what I mean? It's like a clarity. Sure. Maybe a little bit, maybe not so much. Uh, no, yeah, but it's exactly. And to be clear, dear listeners, uh, this is a fucking comedy, but I would say like to, I, today I chuckled at some shit. I haven't chuckled at before. And it's so dark and fucking hilarious that sometimes it takes a couple times hearing it. Um, and it's fast, right? Right, like when when Meryl Streep is just like, we should look into like, oh, what is it at, when they're at the hospital when she's oh, um, playing questions? We should look into getting like a group rate or something like that. Yes. here. Oh my god, that <laughs> cracked me up today too. I, I rewatched it again. Oh my god, I maybe mean, what else? They, there's so many of them. I was trying to take notes, but I'm so fucking tired. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. Cut that part. I don't know how much you edit this. Um, uh, keeping it. I'm keeping it's it. It's all an illusion, just like Hollywood. <laughs> no, but it's funny, right? Because I think anyone who works, it's twofold. Because anyone who, listen, gays who are listening and any, any just theater arts buffs, if you don't know this fucking movie, it is a treasure trove. I'm so happy you picked it. But like, like I said earlier, I feel like, I mean, like the, the no trend now is to turn movies that aren't musicals into musicals. I feel like this would work as one. It oh, one hundred percent. Oh, it, it's completely set up for. And actually, I think if here's the thing, I actually think it could be turned into something with a little more grit. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
Yeah, a like, little I'm, more. I'm, I'm thinking like a um, fun home or like a next Correct. to normal vibe. Correct. Because like that scene where, um, fuck, Suzanne and her mom are confronting each other before Suzanne goes to loop. Yes. On the stairwell. I was just like, this would make a great song. Oh, this yeah. This right here. Yeah, um, and like a whole sequence. Right. And yeah. then, and then you know, I'm checking out that was shell silverstein shell silverstein wrote that song shell silverstein where where the fucking sidewalk ends jesus christ <laughs> this fucking human being shell silverstein come on you know shell silverstein of course right yeah yeah yeah. Um, um, sarah cynthia Sylvia, oh, Stout. Crap, oh my was, Stout. what is because they did he wrote a lot of like children's poet poetry oh yeah that did whole he series, the light, a light in the a light in the attic yeah was he giving yeah. tree or is that somebody else? The giving tree, fucking Shel Silverstein. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Shel Silverstein and scary things, to, uh, scary things to read in the dark were kind of, to me, very much like a generation's very intense, weird pot smoking uh, <laughs> authorship, which is why I think the creatives who came from that generation, we are the way we are. You know, it's like we look at everything and we're like, is this sprinkled of death maybe but- in the story? Like, because everything <laughs> that, that all these people who wrote these stories for us, we're fucking like really intense, dark, interesting, weird people. You know what I mean? And then you listen to I'm Checking Out, which is a country Western song. And you're like, where did this come from? Fully <laughs> a musical. Fully, fully. Fully. Yes. Fully, fully a musical. Like one, like literally to the point that cl- they actually wrote it for the fucking narrative. And then they wrote a reprise for the end credits or whatever. Some that shit. Is. Wait a second, though. We have to talk about. So listen, the musical theater folks who think maybe that there's a strain from the path. I'm sure you're not surprised. The reworking narratively of the audacity of the reworking of the of the narrative for the lyrics for Shirley MacLaine's version of "I'm Still Here" is masterful. It's a masterful cut. The entire performance is astounding and then it, the, the layers of it because surely you know we don't realize this is young people um uh, you young person but like shirley mclean was a gd like vegas headlining touring megastar who did dance-based shows like this fucking woman and i mean i know we know but like i don't think we really realized that that she was like you know, sort of our Kylie Minogue for two seconds in a way, dare I say. Um, I don't know. Is that weird to say? Anyway, but she was super famous and toured live. And so to see her after that chapter kind of right here, or like kind of maybe part of it still, is pretty fucking incredible. Just just to see her do it, let alone the context of it in the story. Unreal. And like Sondheim did re- rewrite the lyrics for oh, this. Can, geez, can you, you know that they're friends. You know, he's like, well, Mike Nichols is the one that asked for it. There it is. There it is. There it is. Cocaine and bourbon. New lyrics. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, come on. It's it is tis Broadway. And even Um, listening to it, I was just like, these lyrics sound weird, but like maybe I don't know the song as well as I think I know it. And then I read that he reworked the lyrics and I went, I knew it. Oh, don't question my brain. Listen, you can't casually just like knock on like God rest his soul, grandpa's door and just be like, do you mind if I write this differently? For sure. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) I, you know, listen, I actually don't know if this was true, but I would imagine whoever is in charge of that entire uh, library, I would imagine it's quite litigious. Now, okay. So this is a musical based podcast. I'm not going to lie. And let's do it. I did pitch this to you, but like, why did you pick this one as like your entry into the, this being a guest here? You know, cause I was thinking a lot about 
Jason and I were talking about this actually, like when you see things and they feel like an experience and I had it uh, and that this movie to me feels like an experience because it gives you so many different sides of entertainment and Hollywood and lore. And listen, I was thinking this today, you know, cause this came from 1990, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was 63. No kidding. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's it. Was joke. eighty-seven I, years it, ago? It was eighty-three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the heart of the ocean. It was a hundred and forty-two years ago. <laughs> oh my God, Jason's probably <laughs> like this old bitch. So anyway, uh, <laughs> fucking uh, this hoe. Okay, so um, get your monkeypox facts, kids. Okay, so <laughs> wait, where were we? So postcards from the edge. There it is. That's what we're talking about. So postcards from the edge. Uh, it's just so many, it's such a fucking nacho bean dip of just showbiz Tom fuckery. Oh, this is what I was thinking today. Let's come full circle around. Edit that out. Look, I'm not your producer. Anyway, um, that in a world today of us being very like cognizant of like real life, I was like, wow, you know, this movie still tracks, even though it's really about privileged white women. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. But the thing that's actually what made me realize the, the brilliance of it. Fucking Mike Nichols. Come on. Um, and Carrie Fisher wrote the goddamn screenplay. The brilliance of it is that she Hollywoodified it enough and that the narrative was was compelling enough that you actually have empathy for these people and you realize why they're stars because they're so fucking charming, mm. you know, and they're fuck ups and it's just compelling there. And there's no like facade. It's all actually about, it's actually about being a fuck up and then trying to find redemption. And I think that that's what makes it charming, even in a world where you're like, let me pitch something to you. Picture it. Two famous Hollywood legends, white women in Hollywood. Uh? Like, you know, like if you said that to me now, I'm like, I don't, I could fucking care less, but that's where I think this is a real gem of, of storytelling. And that's really what I'm obsessed with. And in a lot of ways it feels like theater because they stripped down the facade of Hollywood, you know, there it and, is. and it's fucking Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine like, and Dennis Quaid looking like a fucking hot piece of ass. Holy shit. Like, and this is. I believe Annette Benning, Annette fucking Benning, Annette Benning playing a goddamn prostitute extra. Well, I believe uh, you probably because I, I don't know Meryl's filmography that Wait, well. Annette Benning, right? Yes. Is is it probably? Wait, uh, yeah. Continue for. Uh, I don't know Meryl's filmography that well, but I believe this is like one of the first times that she sang in a movie prior to Mamma Mia. Yeah, and prior to that recording of her Alice, that weird Alice with like Eva Galleon, like the that the Alice in concert. Have you seen that? No. Oh wait. Oh. No. Oh no. my god. Well, maybe that's the next episode. Well, because I know is... that I know that she played like a rock star in a movie, but that was after Mama Mia. Oh yeah. So this wasn't a movie. They just recorded it, and I think it was like on PBS, but. Oh, it's shit. like Alice in concert, and it is as most star-studded Alice in Wonderlands are, as we've learned, are is batshit. I mean, just like <laughs> what the actual fuck? Because she was a musical theater person before becoming a film actress, right? 
Uh, no, is she was more. I mean? Well, she was. You know, it was more think, theater, but like like theater. But I think what it is, and I think she, I, maybe I'm just making this up in my brain. It could be more interesting. But like, um, I think that she was so uh, such a prodigious vocal talent that singing came naturally to her because she has such a fucking like strong instrument too. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it was just something that like she could do. But I think I feel like I've heard this something about her basically acknowledging like. Some that she, you know, she can acknowledge that she has a voice that she can sing, carry tune, but like compared to athletes like Barbara, do you know what I mean? She, right, or Shirley McLean at this point, or fucking Shirley McLean, right? And I think that her coming up with those badasses, she, you know, did what came the most naturally to her. Maybe I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Look at me, Phyllis, as if we went to Meryl Streep's reps call me Aaron. Um, (laughs) this liable that she wasn't Ava Perone is a problem. Uh, yeah, but I feel like I've heard that. Uh, but you like, like when she did Mother Courage with Janine Tathari, um, <clears throat> I always pronounce it that way. Janine Tathari composed the music for Mother Courage that the public did, uh, at the, in the summer, uh, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, right. you know, you really hear that you're like, this fucking woman can sing like a lead for two hours, like, you, yeah, yeah. Well, like interesting. Her, her and Mama Mia, like, she's having oh. the most fun in that movie and like you can tell that she's always wanted to do a musical oh yeah what's the problem like you know what i mean it's like it's fucking oh, and, and and hello lest we forget the opening sequence of death becomes her just True. Uh, oh my god it's so fundamental in the forming of most homosexuals that was before this yes i want to say after definitely after yeah because she was older not older, but she was, it was sort of a commentary on women in Hollywood, like over 40, I think, was yeah. the underbelly of that. Oh, I it's think, two years after this. You're right. Oh, it's two years after? Yeah. In, wait, no. Yeah. Oh. Well, that was, that's the idea, though. That two years that it, it, it was released, or maybe that they were made even three to four years before. I don't know. Never mind. I mean, like, I know, I think the idea was for at least her and Goldie Hawn is like they wanted women who looked quote unquote young enough that they could make up to the look older. Correct. Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. And let listen, uh, Meryl Streep's transformation into just like shit hot piece of ass is incredible. I mean, she looks gorgeous in this movie. They are everyone looks really, fucking gorgeous in this oh movie. Oh my god, can we talk about it? So it's like we've got we've got Dennis Quaid uh just looking like a snack, right? Um, and also a venereal disease, really. Um, and and he is, Mar- he's a walking venereal disease. You're oh correct. my god! And that one wonderful- is the monkeypox. He, oh, <laughs> um, god damn it! Uh, but actually, he kind of yeah. Um, I, I mean, he's he, uh, not to uh, slut shame anyone, but he does sleep around, so like he has to have something. Oh, w- without question. Well, remember she, the Annette Benny character playing Evelyn Ames says, you know, you're not part of the um, like STD notifications. Oh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll less of that. Hello, this is a fun show. Oh, and then, oh my God, everyone, Mary fucking Wicks is the G- Mary grandma. Mary, it's just, it's a cacophony of just like, you haven't even touched Richard Dreyfus. Richard fucking Dreyfus being a sassafras middle-aged doctor who pumps her stomach and is like, she's hot. And then or at the s- end is like, can I have your number? 
<laughs> yeah, and then it's like the best part of that is oh wait, you got Rob Reiner casually as an asshole producer. You have Gene Hackman. I'm, I'm looking through it now. Everyone and everyone was in this movie for the most part. Oh, Robin Bartlett who played Aretha, uh, who played Meryl Streep's roommate, roommate who is such a wonderful actress. I just I, I love everything she's ever done. I've just she's always made an impression on me as a kid. You can see her actually, uh, Robin Bartlett. She's really good opposite of Mia Farrow and Alice, which I know is problematic. It's Woody Allen, but the movie it, Mia Farrow is incredible in the movie, and she's kind of opposite of her. She's such an interesting actress. I was thinking that too watching the scene. So this is actually probably why to answer your question, if I ever did, why I picked it as a director. It's such a great movie to obsess over the scene work the scene works so good and the people they had to get to pitch and like play ball with meryl are all badasses you know to hold your fucking own you know what i mean because she i mean she wasn't the meryl we know today at this point in her career no she was certainly like she was that actress without question yes yeah yeah yeah. yes 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 yes. like she was an actress like everyone immediately acknowledged that Right, but like yeah. she didn't come with the clout of her film work that she currently has. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like to be surrounded by all of these like powerhouses, legends is amazing. It is amazing. Oh my gosh, wait, CCH Pounder, who plays the um, that wonderful actress who plays the woman who admits her into the rehab. There's just all these people who are just, re- re- you know, it's interesting to watch Simon Cowell, Simon Cowell, Callow, Simon Callow. It's just, oh, oh, hello, darling. Uh, everyone knows Simon Callow. If you saw, he's like the, that, that guy who's in everything. He was in four weddings and funerals where he's most known for. For, for a second, I was just like, Simon Cowell was in this movie? Simon Cowell. How- yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Like for no, I'm like, Ian McCallan is yeah. the pill. <laughs> he played the, the pills. He actually was the pills. I played the Prozac. No sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's some shit he would do. I love him. I just like, wait, can we talk about this? Let's just make it right. Okay. Ian McKellen at his age being like, I think I'm going to play Romeo. <laughs> like, it's just incredible. Anyway, we're, let's come back to this movie. But yeah. <laughs> so I think that's kind of what it is. Like, to me, it's just, it's so much great fucking scene work. It's so good. You know what, yes. actually? For what it's worth, aside from even a musical, it, with the right, <laughs> I'm just gonna say, well, if I directed this, uh, like in my brain, I could see how you could really flesh it out to actually be a very interesting play you, that feels a little bit more oh. like a play with music, like a play that feels more experienced. Like I basically, I'm so influenced by you know the way theater kind of gets shakes down in the UK because they use all the devices to tell the story i think that's the biggest difference true they're just so down to be like we're totally having like complete realism with the acting but now here's a fucking puppet oh now something's dropping from the sky like they're so cool with all the devices i think this is the kind of show that using all the storytelling devices and actually probably not a literal set could be very compelling and actually you could even strip away what the point of the race is because it it doesn't even matter and just to watch this interesting story about these women you know what i mean Right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, yeah. yes, it's based off of Carrie, Carrie Fisher's life, but like, you could probably plop any anyone, yeah, anyone. Because, like, I also read that Janet Lee wanted to play the mother and have her daughter Jamie Lee Curtis play Suzanne. 
Yeah, and that's a little too like, Joan Rivers, right? Joan, and remember when Joan played herself more or less with her daughter? Isn't that a? Do we miss that? Anyone? No, but I was just like this. I, I mean, I didn't realize that this was such a hot commodity, but when it was in production. It, yeah, well, I mean, think about because I mean, it really is amazing, right? And then actually, you, oh my god, the that documentary, I think it's on HBO about Carrie and Debbie, and like kind of their, god. oh my Christ unbelievable but there's okay there's lines in this where she says like towards the end she goes uh shirley mclean's greeting the press after having you know a casual uh drunk driving incident worried about her daughter crashing into a tree you know an oak tree which is i listen even the coloring of that so interesting about that character that she's like uh what the press will say to me you know still distraught about her husband she you know and they're like making fun of it as she puts on her eyelashes and everything oh my god and meryl putting on that Bruce, though. That, <laughs> that blush. Yeah, the, we keep going back to the end of it because the the intimacy of that final scene in the hospital of her putting her mom's makeup on from nothing, the, it's theater. I mean, just literally the all the symbolism, the visuals, and then when she goes to greet the press and she says to Richard Dreyfus's character, the doctor, which is his official name now, we're built more for the public than we we are for than we are for the private. Yes. I think it's something like that. And I it's I'm really fascinated by people who are kind of born into situations. Shirley McLean was not. I mean, uh, Debbie Reynolds wasn't. But I'm always like, what is that like when you sort of had no choice? Like, what do you do when you're born and your mom's like, fucking Debbie Reynolds? Okay. Right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't have it. Like, it's sort of the way I think about, I find people born into like poverty as interesting as people born into wealth. Because there are two things where you're like, okay, I didn't have any choice in this shit initially, right? Well, even so, earlier in the film, too, Meryl is like, why do you want me to cut a record? Like, I'm not the singer. You're the singer. What, what do you want me to do? What she says, you you want me to do good, just not better. Better than you. Woo! Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> That's I mean, the song title. Like, you want me to do uh, good, but not oh, better. You're That's the song. so right. It really is, right? But, it need, but I, it's like, what would it, I feel like the show needs to slap in a way too i mean it also like i think i agree with you where you said uh, it doesn't need to be a musical i'm gonna retract now i think it just needs a little more musical they could, sing. They could fucking yes. sing yeah. yeah they could yeah. absolutely sing in it a little bit like what the why the fuck you know and actually that was the thing but actually i was i was at the <laughs> name dropping i was at the national theater earlier this year and uh the, i went and saw the Wuthering heights which was by the same director uh who did jane Eyre. i will look up fuck I, I know you don't do this on this show anyway it was a one let me because that the act the director is brilliant and um they sing kind of like almost the whole time and the singing is the moors uh the yeah. winds and everything and then it says like that very you know greeky uh kind of uh device and you know there's music the whole time they're singing in and out there's like recitative kind of vibes but like it wasn't a fucking musical i feel like like if we're doing this you know, live theater moment of Postcards from the Edge. I feel like it needs to be something like that, where it doesn't necessarily need to be a full-blown, like, musical theater, but, like, have more song moments. Or, like, you know, do kind of, like, a jukeboxy feel. So this something, way, right? Yeah, because I feel yeah. like it needed that element. Like, they didn't need to break out into dance like a no. like a song and dance number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just feel like it'll be like, you know, the definition of a musical where it's like where your emotions are so high, you can't say it, you have to sing it. 
Yeah, 100 million percent. And it, it's it's such an and also it's just a cavalcade of characters, you know. Right. And actually, I think it would be uh, listen, I'm I'm the reduced kind of like mindset. Like as much as I like big stories, I'm like how many people could we like make this more intimate? Like how can we reduce this in the sense of like how can well, like you can have the yeah, you know, the like stepdad double cast. Everyone's as doubling. The director. Yeah. yeah, everyone's doubling. Everyone's doubling, and then you double with purpose. You know what I mean? Uh, but it could be very, very, yeah, very cool. Now you have my head spinning. Someone must have the rights. We should stop talking. We should stop this talking and immediately fuck. sign an IP Recording. contract. Oh, exactly. Fuck shit. Fuck. Do we have to sign NDRs now? Fuck. <laughs> I know. Wait. I just was going to say. Wait. Are we not recording? I was like, oh, yeah. Well, no, we Quickly, are. We go back. <laughs> I'll go back. I'm going to have to do ADR. There isn't enough mommy in the world to help a cause like yours. There isn't enough mommy in the world. Also, too, I just think, so this is something, too, that I love about it, is how gritty, I mean, gritty's like, you know, it's still a privileged life, but, like, just how fucking cardboard and fucking dirt, like, roads making a movie is. You know, the way she's, like, almost lost on the set. And then what I find interesting is that you got to figure she's playing like Carrie Fisher. So she's a goddamn star and she's walking to the set after she's living with her mom, right. To do the new movie. And even as a star, she's just another fucking actor on, on, on the lot. Right. She, has, she doesn't yeah. have like the most glamorous car. No. Um, yeah. Just a yeah. fucking working actor, even though and, she's famous. And she's doing like her comeback movie where she's the cop. Like, I don't think it's, I think it might be like a B movie, like, or just something. Something. It's like very much like, you know, a boulevard comedy. Right. Yeah. Like nothing like, yeah. It's not Oscar bait. No, no. I think she just really wanted to get, um, you know, some shit in. Also Uh, her outside uh, of the film set with the cop costume on, I was just like, how is this legal? (laughs) How did this, how did, like, I I mean, I get it within the world of the movie, like, in the world of the movie, she's busy. She's putting out fires left, right, and center, and everything in her personal life. But I was just like, well, knowing, yeah, like knowing what I know of the industry, I was like, they would have let her leave. Oh set my with god, that the costumer on. would have been like, absolutely not. They would have jumped sure. in front of the car. You are not leaving. <laughs> also, she is cinched to the gods in this. I mean, yes. like Barbie doll. Uh, cinched it's pretty amazing and then it's amazing because i think they did that on purpose because then there's the whole humiliating scene where the costumer is talking with the simon cowell uh director Don't get me started on that and they're scene. talking about was... how she's like bulbous and her boobs are saggy and like they wish she'd stop eating and i was very angry at that scene because i was just like we should never have been doing this from the get-go but there you go. I mean, it's really, and then all the fucking producers giving her notes, and oh yes. my god, a young Oliver Platt, a young Oliver Platt, Oliver Platt. Is he randomly. the one that is that one that is the theater director too? Yeah, he goes. Shh, I direct theater. Dana Ivy, for Christ's sake, is in this movie. Um, I think so. But yeah, it's madness. Wait, am I looking at the right cast, or are these just just old white people? Wait, hold on. It's hard to say. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> like they probably it's probably both a little yeah. bit of both a little bit of both have you seen that clip of uh meryl uh coming behind and act genuinely surprising share but like of recent like just looking like badasses <laughs> oh 
I think probably had a Mamma Mia press thing. And they're just, but the thing is, you know, because you've seen, um, what the fuck, that brilliant movie that they were both in. Um, the what? The, the movie that Sharon Meryl Streep are in from back in the day. Hold Mermaids? On. No. No, no. Um, hold on. Which I, I mean, Eastwick? No. Uh, now I'm just no. naming Cher movies. <laughs> now I'm just naming Cher movies. Hold on. No. Cher, Cher Meryl Streep. Silkwood. Silkwood. Oh, yes. Silkwood, which made $35.6 million in the box office, which is like a tumble. It's pretty impressive for like a little movie. Um, I, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, got, isn't it funny how Google were like, I'm an expert at analytics of marketing. Silkwood. But what I'm saying about that is when they saw each other, you could really see that they were like, bitch. Like, I just love when you see that. <laughs> and that's an extension of what this movie is. It's just showing, oh my God, the casting is so brilliant. Don't you love like the really cute accompanist who's clearly a homosexual with his little like blue converse. I've watched this movie too many times. I have to say though, I was really impressed that like the, um, when they were at the, the hospital, not the hospital. Yeah. Rehab at the, when they're at the rehab center and like, you know, uh, Shirley McLean. Pines. Yes. Yeah. But like they made the oh. gay characters, not like too stereotypical. Well, isn't this interesting? I'm glad that you brought this up because I was thinking this today uh, specifically. First of all, Mike Nicholas, Mike Nicholas, I was once uh, famous. No, Mike Nichols um, is a man of the theater. So, like, I'm sure some of his closest friends are gays. And did you notice they used to use the word fag very much still? Like, let us watch Eddie Murphy raw. Don't forget. I'm just going to let I'm just going to let you like marinate on that, buddy. But um a lot and if you noticed immediately she establishes well honey you know the queens love queens me, love me which is a yes. term of endearment and the gays were all around her like like the gay company is clearly and they have a little bit of a relationship if you watch it enough and you're a fucking weirdo like me and the like super gay guy who's like now you sang sang something remember that character and it's yes. just it's very interesting how there's like, there's a lot of gays in this movie yeah and then the clearly gay guy who's patting her down after she's she's literally just done probably like uh, at least seven bumps right and she's back on the set gene hackman's cussed her the fuck out he's like gotten rid of her little fucking uh stand and is getting her the drugs and the queen all in white still looking like how, how makeup artists just today who are bosses, right? Just patting her down like, you got this, bitch. It's fine. <laughs> it's just He's, so much the one nuance. That's wearing, the one that's wearing the, white, the, the shirt, the name of the yeah. movie on the shirt. Yeah. Yeah, and it almost looks like he's frozen in time like from now. And you're like, wait, why are queens so relevant? Um, But, but there you go. You can see that they're always there. And for a cisgender heterosexual white director to do that is pretty sensitive. Like that's a, a fucking literally a choice. You know what I'm saying? Like even even the fact that this is 90s and they're talking about drag queens. Bitch. Hello. Like this this is way before RuPaul Supermodel of the World. This is before um even Too Long Fu and everything. This is like and this is peak AIDS. Oh my God. And exactly. And for someone like Shirley McLean, which is very Debbie Reynolds, right? For someone like Shirley McLean's character to be surrounded by gays and to have like, you know, the Queens love me and blah, blah, blah. And for no one to blink or anything like that uh, is very also telling of like 
the fact that these aren't terrible people. They're actually more down than most people are. They're actually probably more evolved in terms of like opening, like how they feel about sexuality. And for all of uh, Shirley MacLaine's character being so many things, that's so fucking delicious. She's not a bigot. She's not a shitty person. Like, even though she's vanity based, she's very much like a down person. Like a a fan is a fan, no matter what, who or what they are. Right. But also just like the Queens, I'm so, I love, they're, they're my family. Like, you know what I mean? And for a white guy to be like, yeah, let's, let's talk about the Queens. They're everywhere. Uh, and also I just loved the couple dynamic. And I just love also that you have to also pull back after that and go, this guy's probably in rehab for like the fourth time when he, every time he has like a little Coke bender, like on a Thursday. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, but, and, and like, we're, we're totally undercutting the, the purpose of that scene where it's like, that's supposed to show how um, Meryl Streep is like in the background of Shirley MacLaine's life and how she feels and everything. But like, yes. I don't know, to, to myself as a open homosexual man of the, of the world, very, very <laughs> much so. I was just like, I was just like, this is, this, I mean, it's great representation in a way because it's not like we're the screaming queen or something. You know, it's yes. It's like a per a person, a gay man who's in rehab for whatever reason, right? Um, who doesn't look like he has AIDS? Do- isn't, isn't correct? Correct. Isn't like um some comedic role or something has a very serious moment, and then like yes, he sings Whistling Pines, which is supposed to be which. Well, it's, I guess it's hilarious. It's hilarious. That's too. supposed like, to be that's supposed to be the funny part, but it's not like he himself is a caricature. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's 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 fucking great. It's just great that immediately we're we're part of a narrative. Like the gays are here. Do you, uh, and then you know, but the also the way that men are portrayed in this movie is so secondary, and it's kind of incredible, right? Like the way the dad, uh, well, her stepdad is just sort of comatose you know just living his life and then all of a sudden he has that what he speaks at the end and she's like he speaks exactly and then she's like he's still a dynamo in the sack still waters (laughs) you know Uh, i was like you better get it surely yeah it's so great and it's about like addiction and it's it's just a wonderful listen you can't make it up and it, it, it was based on truth and that's why it's so fucking awesome i liked that um they shifted the focus to be on the mother daughter relationship because I read Correct. that in the not in the is it a memoir autobiography whatever it's a, actually you know it's she just kind of it's a it's just postcards from the edge but it's 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 more fleshed out but yeah it's the same story it's still based on right but I'm think, saying in yeah. the in the book though the mother you get isn't, more into her yeah for the, a while the mother isn't really like a central character i mean she's she is i would say i would say she's the protagonist she's the protagonist that's for i mean she's the the antagonist no she's the antagonist that's for oh yeah in the sense of like that the relationship is still central right Uh, it's a great uh, read it's a great read by the way it's like a great summary that i should read i I mean that was that was like a imdb trivia where it's like the mom isn't really that big of a troll in the book and it's like okay no she's not like here but right that I guess that's more than what they were saying. Not like how she's based. She is second lead in this movie. Oh, without question. Which is 
which is interesting. Like, I was just like, why didn't they just like share the screen with both names? She also like the drag of that character is amazing. That old Hollywood drag with the wigs. Uh, Oh, and and the rouge and the eyebrows and just done, honey. Eyelashes. My eyebrows. I want my my eyebrows on when I'm, when I die. (laughs) Exactly. When I put into the grave, you can't put me in without my eyebrows. (laughs) It's it's just, it's brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. Aaron, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we get into sharp and flat? We no, were, we've we gone all over the place. We've gone all, we over, went the- all over the place. Hey, it's listen. Welcome to podcasting, life. everyone. Hey. hey. All right, let's get all it. All right. Let's get it to sharp and flat, shall we? Sharp. Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. Uh do you want to go first, Aaron, with your sharp? No, please, please, please. Okay, so uh, my sharp, first and foremost, Meryl Streep. Like, Ugh. I, I am so happy that I got to, that I watched this movie finally. Like, it is great. Um, I loved the loop scene. Yeah, like it's incredible. That this is like a masterclass in acting. Yes, yes, it fucking is. Yeah. 100%. Yes. And then, so the reason why I'm sharpening this last one, uh, which is Meryl Streep putting on the makeup, mm-hmm. isn't because it's a tender moment, but because it's hilarious that she puts on a fuck ton of <laughs> blush on Shirley MacLaine. And I was like, even in the 90s, that's not, that. that's a lot. <laughs> that was a lot yeah. of rouge. And I was... I mean, that was just me, like, having a moment where I was like, okay, so, like, this is a meta movie moment where clearly she's like, I'm not a makeup artist, but I'm just going to go. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very nuanced. And then also I want to sharp the, um, uh, the con- confronta- confrontation scene in uh, the, on the stairwell. Like, the manager left the money they're talking about the drugs and the alcoholism and it's she like goes up a few steps to be above her oh, uh, so good and then the and then Meryl is like i'm leaving goodbye yeah, yeah. it twirled up <laughs> it twirled up oh yes but you didn't have any underwear on well uh what uh, were your sharps you can okay, say so this whole I, movie if you want. I don't know what to say past what you just said, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll put it into little chunks. The fucking cast, because it's just it, yes. it is a gift that just keeps on giving, right? Um, I just love the setting of Hollywood as it's cardboard, darling. It's not real, like oh you, like just the yeah. setting of that is so it i'm so fascinated by the lack of bullshit about like when the operation of it do you know what when, i mean when they're um when she's day, first day tied to a cactus yes. and then in the background somebody walks through a door that is yes. like part of the set i was like this is amazing yeah exactly like it's lit like it's a such a fucking weird life of make-believe and like for her for privilege you know what i mean and so it's uh, yeah i mean yes. this I, I want this to sound appealing and then i have to say i think the third thing about it that's the ultimate like sharp for me is that it's just this badass story about these like very 
nuanced, interesting, complicated, not sexualized through the gaze of male narrative. Uh, it's such a woman story. Do you know what I mean? Like these incredible mm-hmm. female characters. Uh, and I, I love that because, because it was Carrie Fisher, you know, the narrative for the nineties wasn't through the gaze of wanting to fuck you, you know, which if you think about for the nineties is pretty rare. You know who I would like to see in this? And this is also because I recently rewatched Luke Cage. And so she's on my mind. Alfre Woodard as the, I believe that's, did I fuck up her name as the mom? And then Cynthia Revo as Suzanne. Oh my God. God, right? Like set now, set now, even and, more hectic. Actually. And like, just give Cynthia the songs because I don't know if Alfred can sing per se, or is known as a singer. But like, if we wanted to make this like a stage experience where there's song and puppetry and everything else and blah blah blah, <laughs> puppets, puppets, like snakes, snakes, snakes. Like, better. I feel like give Cynthia the songs and she'll blow the house down. And that's yes. my casting for this modern version of it. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. I see it too. And that's kind of like where my eyes are. I'm just like, man, it's just, it's such a great vehicle. Like, yeah. I mean, yes, Shervin Clayton and Meryl Streep are amazing in this, but I feel like you could plop anyone else in it and it'll still be the same story. Oh, 100 million percent. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, because it's really, it's, it's, it's ultimately a tale about family. It's about a mother daughter relationship. Right. And it is about the relationship of being a woman in a business that is harder on you. You know what I mean? And sort of like being taken advantage of like the Dennis Quaid character, if you think about it, because he's supposed to kind of be like, you know, Brad Pitt famous, right? Um, Which Dennis Quaid, you know, was actually is, I guess. Um, If you think about the level of game he threw down to land her, it really showed how, you know, that's based on Carrie Fisher having these, you know, hot celebrity fuckboys play the long game. Do you know what I mean? Like really manipulate you and then be like, I love you. And it's like, we could have just fucked. Like you could have, you know, you didn't have to fucking manipulate my brain. And that's an interesting way that she talks about it. It's like the, don't get me wrong. The actual semantics of that scene is kind of like, wait, you just met this guy. But what it represents is very interesting of like the manipulation of like what it must have been like in Hollywood. Plus, I mean, was that really what she was saying? Is that like you said you loved me? Like if you wanted to fuck, we could have just fucked. But like you said you loved me. So I, I'm more angry at the emotions rather than you manipulating. The, yeah. And then he gets mad about that because of the blah, 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 blah. But I think it's actually true he's clearly a fuck boy like it's not even interesting right right and i think i don't know if that's what that character would have wanted but it seemed that what was upsetting was like you you it's interesting because you meet that character immediately being a disappointment on a certain level by just claiming anonymity and dropping her off because of paparazzi right and he doesn't have the shirt on and it's so hilarious like actually because you're just like oh my god nothing's changed it's just now everyone would know right well he also i guess didn't want to admit fault if he had to put his name yeah and then and then he let her on after rehab 
when he's like when he did that whole like oh we went to high school together or whatever bullshit yeah yeah exactly and, and actually said they didn't sleep together okay we're digressing okay so yeah those are my sharps those are my sharps uh so <laughs> this is a great movie it is a great movie and it's i'm so good. and i'm and happy i broke protocol to do it um Okay, so for my flats, so this is like a meta one, is that how Hollywood treated and still treats women, because like I said, if this was a man, like, that's the only thing, though. If we were to cast men as these roles, it wouldn't work. It would be, it would be so dumb. No. It would, yeah. No. And also, when Dennis Quaid, was it Dennis Quaid? I think it was Dennis Quaid said but you're my fantasy let me make you oh real. my god i vomited right on the spot that whole that whole speech is insane right yeah it, it him his character i mean i get it like it's probably he's probably based off of xyz or whatever and oh, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he as a real person exists but his character is a flat too because i'm just like that is so gross and yes. the fa- and like the fact that he uh gaslights her manipulates her and does all this other thing and it's like well i mean she's just telling the truth like and asking for the truth that's a, that's it you could have just said yes we had sex while you were blacked out on something and then we would have i guess she would have moved on but like the fact that he played this long game of like i love you bitch. <laughs> yes 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 i agree uh, what were your flats? I only say this in the obvious because it's a specific story initially to like two people. But I, one of the flats is, you know, where it, there's just a couple moments that obviously, like most things, have not aged well. And I'm like, oof. <sighs> like, and it, it is ultimately always dealing with any people of color, right? Which there, you know, that we, you know, we have yeah. definitely uh, portrayals of, of people of color uh, in it that are, uh, what's we're looking for here that are kind of the the person's race is completely relevant like the wonderful woman who is her rehab uh, admitter it it's irrelevant yeah. you know what i mean but then like you know the maid and you know like i, I know like don't get me wrong like the, the gardener I, the gardener after that the gardener breakup who s- says i think he says a line in spanish or he's at least has something like a yeah thick, hispanic accent i'm just like yeah okay. it would no, no no and it was just one of those things like in the 90s where you're like well, damn hollywood is not really changed do you know what i mean but like to that end it wasn't i'm not going to criticize the main narrative because that's not what the story is about uh in this first iteration it's really about carrying her mom but there's that that obviously um it just it's the it's the thing where i'm like oh man I'm like, for all it's good, there's still some parts. I'm like, oh god. Uh, like, really? I'm like, with all these people, you couldn't have just cast some like white person working for scale to be like, your mom wants you in for cake. Come on. Um, anyway, less about that because it isn't really, I don't want to also like uh uh demonize this movie, but it's just it's the Hollywood, it's also seeing Hollywood frozen in time. That's what it is. Also seeing Hollywood frozen in time in 1990 is really fucking fascinating, right? Like it's such an interesting little time capsule because I'm sure, let's say what, if it was 90, probably was 88, 89, right? That they filmed it. Yeah. So it's just an interesting time capsule that way, which is not a flat. Uh, The other flat I would say is something that isn't really a criticism, but 
it's one of those movies where there's so many veins to these store uh, like storylines that branch out that i it's also something that would be an interesting series and i always felt that when i would watch it i'm like Man, I kind of want to see some other narratives here because there's some interesting shit happening. Like, frankly, like the relationship just between Aretha and Susan, uh, her rehab roommate, I bet there's content there. Do you know what I mean? Like, they had such an immediate, like, you're cool, I'm cool. And think about it. You're in rehab with Carrie Fisher. Aretha didn't give a shit. She's like, we're both in rehab, bitch. I don't give a fuck about you. And it was interesting because she was the one friend, if you notice, who that doesn't happen really, where she graduated into Suzanne's life after rehab and was immediately integrated into her life. Yeah. And, and then it's there at the end too. Correct. And could look at her uh, and just be like, I see you for who you are, bitch. Like she found someone, she, she actually found a real friend who was down and didn't give a fuck about her fame. Like which I is kinda, also, yeah. I kind of wish that maybe they justified it too, that maybe she was also this, like they were each other's sponsors or something like that. Some shit. I mean, they were clearly each other's support, right? Yeah. But the fact that, that she made a real friend, do you know what I mean? Because that's the thing, you know, in Hollywood so often you, you, I always say like, when you see people kind of spiral, I'm like, man, you just need a couple people who are actually your fucking friends, just a couple, like even one or two that are going to be like, yo, this, all this bullshit isn't real enough. You know what I mean? And I right. thought that was, but anyway, so that's hardly a flat, but as a director, I'm fascinated by those subplots. I think that's really all I can say. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just such a fucking gem of a Hollywood now like lore. Uh, would you add any of the songs from this movie to your life's playlist? I mean, there's four, there's three, technically four songs if you want to count whistling pines i will always have i'm still here on some lyrical iteration in the back of my life's playlist oh yeah especially Plus it's I, shirley mclean singing it oh my god it's just it's such was, a gay old time i mean prior like right before watching this i also for whatever reason rewatched rich man's frog Frug, and oh yes i mean her and sincerity is oh. amazing just like, you know, just Bob Fosse's super weird gone out, <laughs> which is, it's a great, it's, it's right. It's like fundamentally that movie is interesting, right? Because if you break it up and kind of put it into little boxes, like in a box lunch, it's really great. But together, you're like, oof. Um, anyway. So, so yeah, I'll agree with Shirley McLean's I'm Still Here. And then I, I'm checking out. That's a fun song. It is fun. Um, She's impassioned. I didn't really... I, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just that I didn't like it. Like, like I just generally was blase about it, but like, you don't know me, the other song that Meryl sings. I was like, yes. That's- Narratively, it's, it, well, that's a great song. Like just different versions of it. I like too. Yeah. But I was just like, okay, obviously. But like, I think for that scene, they were going for a song that could be, oh, uh, outshined by i'm still here yes in a way like it's so great she's great but like i'm still here is supposed to be the breakout moment of that scene so right but both of them like you your fucking guts telling you songs that were pushing a narrative yeah yeah very much um Okay, so I'm calling it. We're done with the episode. Oh my god, that went by. That flew by. That went. I'm by. so glad you liked the movie. I'm. I'm so happy about I that. I loved it, and I. I mean, I kind of 
wish there was more like musical elements to it. Yeah. Maybe another song or like if we saw the drag queen singing Whistling Pines, but like maybe not because that'll be too much. I don't know. The movie wasn't really that long either. No, no. And that's what she was. That, that's what I love about it is that it really moves at a fucking clip. Like it really mm-hmm. barrels through. Because it's the- an hour and 41 minutes. And apparently like there were scenes with uh, Suzanne's dad, like biological dad that were cut. There were uh, John Cusack was part of it and what, what was cut too. So like there, there is a longer movie out there somewhere. Yeah, it's interesting how he really just honed in and was like, but there you go, we're talking about it and what makes you want more? And it's, I'm surprised more people don't talk about it because in the, in the pantheon now of like Meryl Streep anthologies, it's really a fucking interesting thing that she's done. It I mean, amongst to, everything she's done. It needs to be highlighted some more. But Aaron, yes. do you have anything you'd like to plug or promote? Sure. Uh, you can check me out uh, here and there on J and A or Gay. Uh, we're on all the all these all the channels for podcasting, and it's a J and A underscore R Gay on Instagram, where we continue to not post. And uh, actually, you know what? You know it's a really great uh, podcast that I cranked out during the first part of like Shelter in Place and whatnot. And it's uh, everyone is kicking ass. Like it's got Jason VCL, Morgan Lee. Um, Rona Siddiqui's a lot of strange of the strangely peeps uh, is the four FS podcast, which actually was my way of legally being able to go for fuck's sake on Instagram. So it's four FS podcast on uh, for fuck's sake, a theater podcast. Cause you know, I'm aggressive like that. Uh, it's so I tried this format where I actually interviewed people for four episodes uh, here and there when, when I had time and it's just looking, listening back to it. Now it almost feels it's a very interesting listen to now, like L Morgan. Um, I mean, Morgan Siobhan Green, who's uh, my friend who's in your, who's your way to see on Hadestown. Yeah. It's just a great archive. If you really want to listen to these actors. We get talk- it. You know, famous people. No, 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 it's just crazy. Like, no, but like, you know, it's like, I was thinking that like you are who you hang out with. And I'm like, damn, all these peeps, like we all kind of came together when we got disenfranchised and we're like, let's just talk. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, I just, I'm so happy that everyone's thriving. And it's, you know, listening back to it now with some distance, I'm like, this is such an interesting little insight into like these artists. Um, huh. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great series because of them. Like I'm just there facilitating their fucking brilliant minds. But um, yeah, I, I, really, I really like that. And if you're a theater nerd, I think you would very much enjoy it. It's very, these, these are incredible humans and you kind of get to know a lot about them. So what is, I'm sorry, what is the, it's the handle F sake? Oh, uh, for fuck yeah, for F's sake! Oh, right. Oh, no, you don't. I don't think you do explicit on here. Wait, give me one no, second. No, I do. I do. Aaron's just. I do. Oh, great, 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 great. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna make sure that I'm not saying this to you incorrectly. You're like, why don't you know your own brand? No, well, I, I mean, when was the last time you put out an episode for that? Like, well, no, but we've been just chilling in archive. Um, so the last actually one was El Morgan Lee. We have two episodes with uh, her. She's a fucking ugh, everything. Uh, so it's yeah, it's four fs underscore podcast on uh instagram and there's like over a dozen episodes you can like binge and it's some real inside shit with these artists like we just happen to talk about theater sometimes it's not even the point um we just are kind of chatting about everything and it was being recorded during the election so it gets fucking spicy it's a spice it's i will say this it is a for as much as we laugh, it is a very, um, 
it's a pretty fucking real podcast because i mean we just couldn't help but talk about hello everything yeah so it's it's yeah i would yeah i would love for people to check that out oh actually one more let's do another one so we had a few of these episodes and we're actually this is coming back i won't tell you when but drama and oral experience (laughs) oral drama and oral experience uh that's available on itunes um and it's just audio fiction that we had a lot of fun doing and there's we're gonna do some more of those yeah, it's really cool. Like, it's super fun. It, it was literally done, like, as soon as Shelter in Place happened and everyone's careers burned to the ground, I was like, I'm going to lock myself in the closet. <laughs> Would anyone like to record some stories? And we basically <laughs> lost our minds, right? But by default of having time, a lot of uh, production went into them. So they're like, I look at them and I'm like, these are fucking fun. Um, so yeah, that's a bunch of like little uh, ear candy if anyone wants to take a little listen and, you know, uh, have some fun with some artists. And if you want to, like, I don't know, give us ideas for other songs that could have been in this or will be in this stage version that apparently Aaron is writing, maybe. Correct. Who knows? Uh, got to find out from Paragon. Uh, <laughs> you, can, you can email me at photosongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at photosongpod. Like, do you agree that this should have been a musical? I'm asking the audience, not you specifically, Aaron. Oh, yes. No, the, the proverbial... The proverbially you, you the, the royal you, the listeners. You. And if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going to be talking about the documentary now episode original cast recording co-op. Fuck yes. With Lori Gisbani and Jason Kerr are going to be back. <laughs> yes, of uh, course. Uh, She's the debutante. She- That's it. The <laughs> debutantess. Aaron, true. thank you so much for finally saying yes oh my god this was the best i'm I'm really glad we got to do this it was a really nice way to sort of like come down from a really batshit week oh good um i'm going to publicly invite you back on even though i've already said that you're back (laughs) let's do it you know i I, you know i love pontificating on shit that i'm obsessed with uh yeah i'm off off recording we'll figure that out so bye for now everyone bye everyone Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.